Good evening, Marcel. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, as you know, Dubai is on a lockdown and we have lots of time, lots of time on our hands. And I think you're, you're a bit lucky you're in Germany. And we really appreciate the time that you, you speak to us tonight. Um, the second Wolfie's Talks, uh, Keeping Up With The Pros. And um, it, it's really a great honor and a great pleasure to have you as my friend on the, on the talk tonight. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I'm also very happy to be here and um, yeah, make those uh, hours and days in lockdown maybe a little bit uh, easier with a talk like this. Thank you very much. Um, I think you have quite some good memories about Dubai and I don't know if you remember how we met. Do, do you remember the first time we, we bumped into each other? Um, I, I think it was on, in, at the Eurobike um, in Germany at the Lake Constance no, in 2013 or something. Yeah, 2013. And it was really, uh, we were at the show and I, I walked over the stand to Uvex and there were lots and lots of people. I think it was over um, after the Tour de France 29, uh, 2013. Yeah. after you had this amazing um, tour and um, lots of people were standing around and I, I kind of fought my way through the through the crowd and I, I just tapped you on your shoulder and said, hey Marcel, I'm Wolfie, I said I'm a big fan and I think it's just unbelievable what you did for the sport and I, I gave you my card and I said, listen, if you ever need anything, you want to come to Dubai, just let me know and um, funny enough, a few months later I got an email and you said, I don't know if you remember me, uh, my name is Marcel Kittel and uh, I'm planning a holiday in Dubai and I thought if you can help and I thought, oh my God, yeah, Marcel Kittel sent me an email and I'm going to meet you again in, in Dubai. So I think it was quite, quite amazing. So uh, Dubai, Dubai as a city has been quite good and the, the event obviously has been quite successful. So can you tell us a bit about your uh, races in Dubai? Yeah, <clears throat> so... Um, I think my first uh, Dubai experience in general was was in, in that year when I came for a holiday. You were a great host, by the way, and uh, you helped us a lot with uh, accommodation and what to do in Dubai. And yeah, it's I've never been there until then in 2013, October. Um, so uh, it was great to see the desert there. It was um, great to experience the city, of course, because it's uh, it's so different to, to what I know from at home from Europe. And uh, especially when you also can race your bike there. So when in 2014, the first, um, yeah, it was 40, yeah, 2014 when the first uh, Tour of Dubai was uh, launched and we had the chance as cyclists to go there um, to experience the uh, cycling community of Dubai, which I never expected to be that big uh, in the middle of nowhere in the desert. It's hot. Why would you ride your bike there? But there is a lot of people on the bike. Um, so it was also great for us to see what is going on there and to also discover um, Dubai and UAE a little bit by bike and um, see what is going on. I think you always were in good shape 2016, 2017. I think you, you, you'd smashed it completely and, and you won the overall title. And we were very lucky that you left the, the big trophies in our shop, uh, which, we, which we cherish uh, in, in there. Uh, so I remember as well one evening, I don't know, we went for a dinner in Burj Khalifa because we wanted to take you to the top after you won the event. And uh, we went there and had a nice dinner and we ordered some special dessert, like a chocolate fondant. And, and I don't know if you yeah. remember how you named this, this dessert. Tell me, no, how did we um, name it? You said it's like the Champs-Élysées of desserts. Yeah, it was a, like a chocolate vanilla ice cream. Uh, it, it just melted and I think the whole team enjoyed it. It was really, really a great evening. Um, and it was also, by the way, it was a nice tradition um, to do it. Uh, like this after after the tour of Dubai to have uh, this evening all together with the team and with you and uh, to really to finish the event to finish the Dubai experience uh, in a really good way good food and uh, good uh, yeah good talks in the evening. Thank you. Um, I just want to start a bit with your career and started. To, who was your who introduced you to cycling and what are your first memories and first inspiration when you think about the sport when you started. Mm. Yeah, I so I, you know, the weird thing is for me when I look back now, it, it's it's amazing how I could still become a professional because I always thought that cycling is such a hard sport and I I, I don't want to do it because every day when I was around eight nine years old and before, I saw my dad going out on his bike at home just for a training ride. 
um, with his friends on the weekend. Sometimes there was rain. He was still going, and I thought, I'm not crazy, I'm not doing that. And um, still, I got curious, and I tried it. And um, when I tried it the first time, uh, I liked it so much that I really um, kept doing, uh, kept doing it, kept riding my bike. And actually, I can say that, you know, my sort of role model, my the person where to who I looked up was really my dad in the beginning uh, because he he kept me motivated he took care of me that I um, have that I had a good bike that the training went well that I could come into a group at home where I live or where I could do my training so that's that's also really that are all the basics um, that you need to have when you start uh, riding your bike um, that you are you know in a good place that you have everything that you need so that you can start enjoying the sport and discovering it a little bit and your dad did it for fun or he was active in racing? Now he used to be now in, in former East Germany, he used to be um yeah, an, a cyclist, a professional status didn't uh, exist at that time, but um he was uh, for yeah, for a short period part of the national team. So he was on a good level riding his bike then. And when he stopped, he, he still kept riding. So it was always his hobby. He actually, when I started to race, he started racing himself again in the master's wow. class. Uh, so, yeah, that was quite funny. But yeah, as soon as I became stronger and uh, going to other races, he stopped as well again. So doing races. And when little Marcel was racing his bike sprinting, do you have anybody in mind, any hero uh, besides that, besides your dad or anyone you can remember that you had uh, all of Ludwig or anyone like that? No, I, you know, I came, to, I came into the sport because of my dad, not because I was watching Tour de France. When he, I remember one holiday in Denmark, I don't know, around 19, no, it was actually, it was around 1996 when uh, Ulrich was, in the yellow jersey. Uh, since then, there was this cycling hype in Germany going on, and I remember him watching uh, watching the race every day during the holiday uh, for hours, and I couldn't understand it. What is so fascinating? So only until I really tried it myself, I I came into the sport. I started to realize how nice it is, and um, I I didn't really have any idol. Uh, yeah, right away I looked up to. No, not really. But I'm sure you've been the idol for many others. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think you know it. It really. It's very individual how how you um, or where you get your motivation from. Um, for me, there was enough uh, other areas uh, where I could get motivated enough to ride my bike. Um, but if it's someone else, if it's a professional cyclist that keeps you motivated, that's great and um, a good start. You've been really good as well in time trial at the beginning of your career. So it wasn't really clear if you want to be a, or a sprinter. And we, I think you saw your talent then uh, in the races that you were really faster than the others. Yeah, I, I was always a good sprinter. When I look at uh, the results which I had in the, in the youth classes when I started to race, I always had um, the most victories in sprinting races. And... Um, that was so important that when I started my riding my bike, I came directly into a group of um, of, of uh, riders at home where I lived, and they are still my best friends, by the way. Uh, and we started to race together, and we started to work together. We started to um, prepare sprints for me. Uh, we did training together, and we really lived in a very small uh, or young age already this a little bit professional life, you know, and, and, and helping each other out in a race. And we had a plan, and um, so there we started to also realize that I was good in sprinting. So they helped me there, and when it was a more difficult race. I helped my uh, teammates, of course, as well and on the other days. Good. You see, I know you as, as a very calm person and, and very relaxed. You, you have, we had some good evenings uh, together. But then when you put on your helmet, when you put on your racing helmet, is this some kind of a transformation that you become Marcel Kittel, the racer, and, and your, your mindset? Because obviously, as a sprinter, you're more like a boxer. You, you go into this, into this race and you really need to put, you need to be motivated, you need to be quick, you need to, to, to get your body to be 100% on, on that level, the adrenaline needs to kick in, and then uh, is, this, is this something you can really see, you, you put your, your, your helmet on and then you change as a person? Mm, I think, no, I, yeah. So I think in a race or before a race, uh, and when you then start into a race, 
what I think always happens with everyone, every professional cyclist, when, when you come in this situation that you are suddenly under pressure, that you have to perform, you have to uh, give your best, it really sort of shows a little bit your your real character, how calm you can stay in, in pressure situations. Some some guys really get nervous and they do crazy stuff in a bunch, in a sprint uh, final, for example. So I think you always stay yourself, but it really shows who you are. You know what I mean? When 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 you when you come into a situation where it's only about instincts, which is a sprint is like this. It's only about instincts. You cannot really take a lot of time to think about it. You really have to react within a few split seconds and do what you think is right. Um, then you cannot control yourself anymore. Yeah. So uh, I think that happens in 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 racing. And what really also happens when I what you said when I put on my helmet, what I realize now, not being a professional anymore. But when I put on my helmet, that's I personally, because I have done cycling for a huge part of my life now, I I come into a situation where I really feel at home, you know, and I, I go on my bike. This this feels I know it so well. It, it yeah, it it really is something where I feel very comfortable and where I feel um like I really know what I'm doing now and I really feel uh, this is my place where, where I have always been. Yeah. And is the motivation riding for yourself? Is it for the team? Because you know, obviously like five, five, four, five guys have worked so hard to get you to that last three, four, four, 300 meters. Is it that you're motivated within yourself or is it that you think, okay, I have to, I have to do it for the team? Um, it's both. It's, I think, uh, what always was my my ambition in the races, uh, of, I always, as an athlete, I always had a clear goal where I wanted to be. So if it was a Tour de France stage, I knew where I knew I had the chance. Um, I wanted to go for it. And that was the passion that I took also into working together with my teammates. And everyone in cycling, every one of the riders know um, that you have to work together to achieve something. So... I think for me, that were the two reasons why I wanted to be successful is, is of course for myself in a sense, but also because I knew I have to, I have to work together with my teammates. I need their support. So I'm also really dependent on them and I cannot let them down in a, in a difficult situation. And I really need to need to go for it still. If I maybe lose hope sometimes on a climb, when you think you get too far dropped and you cannot come back, um, you, you cannot give up because your teammates also put in everything they have and you cannot let them down. Very good. An important question, obviously, is you see, when you take your helmet off, how do you manage your hair? How is it possible that your hair is always, you never seem to be a bad hair day. So you take the helmet off and it's, everything is 100% under control and that, that Marcel Kittel hairstyle is, is spot on. How is this? What's the secret? When I see your hair, actually now I'm really getting jealous because uh, all the hairdressers here they are they are closed and I I cannot get a fresh haircut. So um, yeah, the secret is I have no idea. I think hair is important, but it's not everything in the world, especially in times like this. Now you you are focused on other things, but um, I think I was always lucky. It starts probably with a good haircut from a from a professional hairdresser. That's good. important. Great. Um, I want to speak a bit about the, the races you have won. And I think one really sticks out, obviously, is Schelde Prize, which is, which is a, a, obviously a, the first Belgian classic. And you're the, the big uh, five times victory in the Schelde Prize. And it's obviously a, a different race. It's couples. It's the first one of the Belgian classics. It's, it's really the highlight for the sprinters. Everyone wants to show uh, how, how good he is. And, and all of the top sprinters are normally there. You wrote it with Tom Bonin. Um, so I think just an amazing event, but it, it seems the early season races were always really good for you. Yeah, um, I think I was always someone who could get very quickly in a good shape because I'm, um, I react very well to training. And when I, when I hit the right combination of, of um, good training intensities and the necessary rest, then uh, it was for me always an advantage to to start early in the season because I I was already on a good level and, and I think 
um, that always helped me. For example, in the Tour of Dubai, but also in other races like the Schrader Preis or um, uh, even Paris-Nice, uh, I always had good legs. Um, so yeah, yeah that, Australian, that was good for you. Yeah, that was helpful. And um, yeah, the Schrader Preis is simply in a week. It's in the last week of the uh, couple classics in Belgium. And it's between um, Flanders and Roubaix. So uh, it's, it's in a classic week. It's, it's the holy week in Belgium where all the cycling fans are looking at. And um, that is just this easy race in between those big, big monuments. And it's always a focus for the, for the sprinters. And when you look at the uh, uh, list of winners there, I'm, I'm really in, in very good company and I'm very proud of my achievement because everyone is getting there together to, um, to go for a victory. Everyone knows what is happening. Yeah, um, there, are, there is nothing where you can hide because everyone wants to win, although it's maybe not a very hard race physically. It's still mentally quite a challenge to be there in a good uh, shape and, and you know in a good place to be able to be. And then um, looking back as well, the 100th edition of the Tour de France starting in Corsica. And I think some of the people might remember uh, this was the first stage of the event uh, when the bus of Orica Greenwich got stuck. Uh, and I think 10, 15 kilometers before the finish, it wasn't really clear where the finish was. And I think um, um, obviously that was an important stage for everyone. And, and you can tell us maybe a little bit more about how that stage worked out for you. Yeah, um, that was my second Tour de France ever. Um, I only started in the year before in 2012, the first time in the Tour de France. Got sick after a few days and had to leave early. So the year after in 2013, then the, to what we are talking about now, I, I came into the re race and I was sort of a, yeah, one of the favorites for the first stage victory. And that was I don't know. It was an incredible shift, uh, you know, in, in mindset already. When you go into the in your second Tour de France suddenly, and you are expected to maybe win even. So um, that was already quite an experience. And then the whole race itself was uh, everything was focused on this on the sprint. Everyone knew there is going to be to be a sprint at the end. So we came um, into the last 30, 40 kilometers when all the uh, sprinting yeah preparation is already starting. And I remember that we were so focused to get, I think, at around 10K before the finish line into a good position because from there on, it was around four or five kilometers, very narrow road. But that was also the same moment when we suddenly got very confusing information um, via the race radio uh, that there is something happening at the finish and finish might be somewhere else and uh, really strange. So I thought, what is going on? Of course, finishes at where the finish line is because nobody told us about the bus so we got into this narrow section and everyone was so nervous but we couldn't move anymore so we had to wait for the 5ks um, and really sit on, on like 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 it felt like sitting on fire because you couldn't do anything and you didn't know where the finish was or what was actually going on until we really reached the more open part again and at the same time also someone said okay everything is like normal focus on the finish and then hell was breaking loose and everyone tried to come to the front and there were big crashes. Tony Martin had this really, really bad crash where I think he lost, I don't know, one third of his skin on his back. And um, yeah, then we were going to the finish and that was yeah, really nice uh, teamwork, great preparation and my first um, day in yellow and first to the France victory. To the yeah. front stage victory, very important. Yes, I think this is obviously amazing. It's the 100th edition, it's the first day, it's the first stage win, and then it's the first day in yellow. How, how long did it take until you realized going that, that you come to the podium now and somebody will put you on that, that yellow jersey? Yeah, it's as I still remember, I said afterwards, after the podium ceremony, I said this getting this yellow jersey, especially as a sprinter, is like. Um, also feeling all the history of the Tour de France. Uh, it's such a special moment and I'm, I'm really grateful that I was able to experience it. And I think I didn't really realize what was going on until after the Tour de France because in the Tour you're only in this really, really small world. Uh, a lot of 
things are going on around you and you just try to focus on your race. But once I was at home and I saw the yellow jersey still lying there next to the little lion that you get as well, um, I really realized, okay, it, it really happened, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it was incredible, great experience. Very good. Um, but again, 2013, you weren't finished with winning stages. I think you, you had an, an amazing last stage as well in, in Paris. Um, uh, yeah, tell us a bit more about this. Yeah, it's, so I think starting into the tour with a stage victory on the first day, achieving that goal already, being able to wear yellow for a day was already um, such a huge, huge motivation boost and confirmation for us as a team that we are able to do it. And from there on, everything felt felt easy. You know, you it felt like having the whole time a little bit wind in the back. Um, you know, we had enough tire pressure and the others only half of it. That's how it felt, you know, mentally having this advantage of the start and winning three more stages, including uh, the Champs-Élysées is, yeah, it, for us, because we were so sort of nobodies, nobody at that time knew about a Tom Dumoulin. Uh, yeah. Maybe insiders knew that he, he was a big talent, but he was part of my lead-out train at that time, for example. And uh, I think what we did there as a team is, um, is yeah, for, for me, it, it was a dream, I think, for everyone else. And fin finishing this off with a win on the Champs-Élysées, where it was really all about the sprinters, where we had to prove us as a team as well one more time that we are that we are there now, you know, that we can do it, that we can also win in such a situation after a long tour um, and then on a stage where everyone is focused on one thing, on the sprint, um, was just a perfect end to a great Tour de France. And uh, we had a, a big, big party afterwards. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that's that's one one sad thing. I don't, I don't know how, but somewhere uh, on the transport from finish line to hotel, my trophy broke. Um, from the Champs-Élysées, which was a very nice glass trophy. So I do not have that anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it's all about the memory, memories anyway. Very nice. Um, I, I watched that sprint, I can remember, and, and it looked like for me, you were very early in the lead and Mark Cavendish and Andre Greipel were on your wheel and it, it looked to me that it was just a bit too early and I thought, oh my God, they're going to overtake you. And then uh, they were on your wheel and then they went to the side and were trying to overtake you. And it either looked like you had a second kick and you really accelerated again or they just were facing the wind uh, and, and just yeah. looked like they were, they were faster. And then they got just, uh, they, they, I don't want to say they stopped because they were still going fast, but you, were, you just had that, that edge again and it looked like you kicked one more time and then, then you made it first over the line. Yeah, yeah. I, so when I, I knew... So it was my first time on the Champs-Élysées, obviously. But um, so I had the first, the first thing I realized getting on the finish line is, I I thought, how terrible is this? Uh, are these cobblestones? You you cannot you you really won't believe it if I if you write there yourself. The the surface of the road is so bad. It's 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 everywhere small holes. And the cobblestones are they are very slippery but some of them also stand out. So you really have to take care where you are riding. So when you start your sprint into the last 250 meters, which is yeah, just after that um, S bend that you have before, when you can really see straight uh, to the finish and the Arc de Triomphe, that's where um, I started my sprint. And I knew it, was, it would be a long sprint, but I also knew um, that I can go for a second time, like what you just said. I, I know, I knew that Andre and, and, and Kev, they were on my wheels and they were waiting for um, for a later moment to start the sprint themselves. So I, I, was, I wasn't going 100%, maybe 97, and just save those uh, last 3%, uh, you know, to react again. And yeah, it was enough. Uh, it, yeah, it was really a, a nice moment. And what was also really nice coming onto the Champs-Élysées, uh, because it was um, the 100th anniversary of the Tour de France. They uh, started the race a little bit later. So we would come um, into the final circuit just before sunset. 
and um, it was it was a really nice atmosphere with the people there. You could really see the flashlights from the cameras. Uh, it was it was very special, really. Uh, the the times afterwards, when I was again there in the final stage, um, it was different. It was not it was not like in 2013. So um, yeah, that was even more um, unique. We have one question of, of one uh, viewer. He said, "What's your what the moment of, of is this one of the moments you will remember the rest of your life?" It coming question is coming from Wes. Um, is this one of the moments, or is there anyone any other moment which stands out uh, for you? I think as a as as an athlete, this is definitely a moment which I will remember for the rest of my life, hundred uh, percent, because that is the moment. Uh, I was sort of also waiting for as a as a professional writer as an athlete you're working towards that goal to be able to be even only be in a race like the Tour de France and then I I was I was able to come to a point where I could really also dream about winning stages and and, and winning a last stage of the Tour de France on the Champs-Élysées that is something which is really really special and Uh, maybe one more thought, because uh, that was something that um, I realized in 2017. Um, because you can be sometimes really, I don't know, you do not appreciate what you have sometimes. You know, it's easy to get lost in complaining about everything. And because you take it for granted that everything is like this, it's normal. But it's not, especially being a professional cyclist, is is not not normal. Um, it's a very unique and special thing and I was sometimes in moments where I, I couldn't appreciate it enough in, in, in the Tour de France in 2013 and 14 it was all full of success but it was also a lot of stress it was for me the first time that ex ex that I experienced it and um, I couldn't really um, you know take that experience uh, always in a 100% positive attitude because I also saw the stress I was tired so when I came in 2017 to the to the France, I I actually said to myself, um, because it was also the Grand Depart in Germany, another dream came true. I said to myself, I really want to enjoy it as if it would be my last Tour de France. And it maybe wasn't my last Tour de France, but this positive attitude helped me so much that I that it was a very successful tour. Um, and when I look back now, being able to enjoy the first stage. Um, on the podium in, in, in Liège when we started in, in Düsseldorf in Germany. I really took everything in and um, I'm very happy that I did it because um, that was the last successful Tour de France for me in, in my career uh, without knowing it. And that is something um, which I think is very important and I learned that lesson quite late in my career, but at least I learned it. so. You won overall 14 stages, which I think is just remarkable achievement, uh, um, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well done. I'm very proud of it. Yes. Yes, you can be. I'm sure. Yes, you can be. Um, is there any other rider? Like, was there a bit of a rivalry with another sprinter, which motivated you to perform the best you could? That you say, listen, if this was one person. We can see this sometimes in other sports, in tennis, when we have two or three big players fighting for the title to be the best in the world that they really feed off each other and they, they inspire each other. Is there anyone you would, you would acknowledge for that who inspired you? Yeah, I think um, for me, that's quite clear because um, yeah, that, that's definitely, and I think we sort of uh, also, um, you could see that already in, in 2013, 14, the tours afterwards, there was always a fight between three teams, three sprinters that was, uh, Mark Cavendish, Andre Greipel, and, and, and Marcel Kittel, and also the teams um, of, of every sprinter. And especially in 2014, we had, it was actually amazing when you look back now, because we had three sprint teams in, in great shape with really experienced riders, um, with Lotto Sodal for Greipel, um, Quickstep for Cavendish, and uh, I was, oh, Giant Shimano for Kittel. And that was always really, really uh, uh, after the race, after the stage, really, really nice to see how we battled each other. Um, sometimes we lost, sometimes uh, another team lost. So it was, yeah, I think those were really, really nice moments. And also for me and also for my teammates, a big motivation to beat the other guys. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Um, 
you had, as you mentioned, three teams. Uh, first team was skill, skill Shimano, uh, giant uh, Shimano, and then there was some great teammates with, with you. And uh, you always shared the room with one other rider. So who were your team uh, colleagues you were, you were sharing the room in, uh, with skill Shimano? Um, I actually, at, so you need to know, so at, at skill Shimano until giant Shimano, what is now Team Sunweb, it sort of was always the same team, maybe yeah, different riders sometimes, but the people behind were always the same, just the names changed. So in as long as I was part in that team until 2015, in with, when it was called Giant Alpecin, we always had this rule, which I really liked, that you would not always share the room with, with one teammate, you know? So it was all, there was always change going on. And that is also, I think, really important because, yeah, we need to to keep the group together. There shouldn't be, you know, groups within the group. So I really supported that. And I think when I came to Quickstep, I was in my first year a lot of times with uh, Tony together, Tony Martin. Um, and in 2017, it was, um, yeah, actually... Um, for a long time, um, or actually for my whole career, I was also a lot of times with my uh, lead-out uh, man in, on one room because it was always very helpful to be in one room to talk about the sprint um, the day before and, you know, a sprint that was good or bad on that day uh, to learn from it and discuss it. Very nice. Um, then you went from from the Wolfpack uh, quick step. You went to uh, Katusha Alpecin, and I think this is really a match made in heaven with your hair and then a, a, a shampoo company Alpecin. I think they must be very happy that you had you in the team. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, with Alpecin, that was a great match. Uh, I mean, um, yeah, I think we we tried all our best. Um, when I look back now, it, it didn't work out, but. Yeah, I always had good hair gel, uh, good shampoo, um, so I cannot complain about that. <laughs> Looking back at the teams, who was maybe a rider or a mentor or a sport director who really inspired you, who gave you good guidance, and where do you feel you learned the most? Who was the, the most inspiring person for you in the teams? Mm, I So a very important person in my professional career was um, as a coach, my first coach, Marijn Seemann, who is now um, um, the, yeah, how do you call it, the, the coach for uh, Team Lotto Jumbo, um, where Tony Martin is also riding. Because when I turned professional in 2011 with Skill Shimano, I first of all only turned professional because uh, Marijn wanted to have me on board of the team um, as a helper in the sprint preparation. So, um, Otherwise, I would not have been a professional, but also his mentality as a coach. So I see, I see two, two abilities in him. One is he's a, he's a good trainer, so he can set up your training plan very well. Uh, he can um, look at your, you know, make an analyze of your, of your power profile, where you should improve and all that stuff, which is part of becoming better. But he's an even better coach, and that is such such an important job within a professional cycling team that you are able to to sell the training plan that you write down to your athletes that they believe in it because if you do not believe in something you're you're not you're not doing it 100 percent and you will not in the end you will fail um so he was he, he's an amazing person you know when you work with someone together who, who can really also make you better who can give you belief in yourself and set up goals uh, for you. And, and, and yeah, that is, that was a really nice uh, time when we worked there together. So you, were speaking about, yeah. career. you were speaking about power and, and data. I know when you were a professional writer, it was difficult to disclose these numbers, but what, what are the highest power numbers you, you did, you did ever see in a sprint or in training? I remember in 2000, uh, 17, I, we, we did, you know, we did a small ride before the Tour of Dubai started. Um, and on the cycling course, uh, uh, on the cycling track where you have this beautiful view on the Burj Khalifa, and there I also did some sprints. 
and I had a three-second record that day of 1940 watts or something. Um, so that was already good, and I think my overall record was uh, around something around 2,000 watts for three seconds, you know, average. But these values, they you have to take them. Yeah, not for 100% because there's always like two, three percent um, uh, of a failure rate, which where it's not um, accurate at the end. So nobody knows exactly, but it was enough to to win a couple of sprints with it. <laughs> very good, very good. Um, do you have any tips for me on a Friday morning? And I mean, I want to improve my score on the Friday morning roadsters, right? Uh, any tips for for the average sprint guy? Should we wait a little uh, longer or early? Uh, wait for the wind and how, how did you approach this uh, yeah look maybe for the nervous guy who uh, who always starts his sprints too early so you can benefit a little bit from from slipstream on his wheel and then uh, start to sprint uh, when he's tired I think what is really important to to get better in sprinting is you really need to take an honest look at yourself if you have in general sprinting abilities i know both of you are you have strong legs you are definitely um, <laughs> someone who can think about actually winning sprints but then uh, I, maybe some other guys are more an all-rounder type you know then then it's very hard to really get very fast in a sprint you have to play different than maybe if you're talking about the friday right with friends you should maybe attack early or surprise someone <laughs> uh, use another strategy that's that's maybe uh, something to think about and yeah do your sprint trainings. A couple of sprints every training ride is always helpful. Very good, thank you. I will. I will try to make it useful. As soon as we're back on the after the lockdown, I will. I will give it a try. Um, <laughs> Very good. If you if you wouldn't have become a cyclist, what what would Marcel Kittel have been if, if cycling wouldn't be an option? Is there any other job, any other hobby you would have pursued? Now, I. So and until I turned professional, I, I, was, I was already a student. Um, I studied computer science uh, before I became a pro. So probably I would have done that. Um, and yeah, who knows? I don't know. I think that was, yeah, that was the last you know, indication I had before I turned professional of where my life would have gone if I wouldn't be a pro. I have some I have some good questions coming in. Um, Paul is asking, what what are the future plans? Um, yeah, my future plans uh, at the moment are I'm again a student, so the circle is closing again um, after my career end. Uh, that was something that I I wanted to do. It's it's important for me, and I'm also enjoying my my time now at university. Although it's closed and a lot of stuff is has to be done online, but that's okay for me. Um, that's that's sort of my educational plan. Um, I'm, I'm studying e economics at the moment, but I still um, want to keep that connection with the sport. And maybe you have seen it already. I, I started to um, um, a cooperation with Endura Cycling Clothing from Scotland, and that's for two years now, which gives me the uh, chance to still, you know, be on a bike, uh, be around people and, and, and share, you know, my experience, my knowledge, I give it also um, in, in form of feedback to a company, which eventually is doing uh, uh, improvement on products and maybe creating new products. So I, I just don't want to um, sort of throw away the last years. And uh, for me, I can, with that combination also, fuel my passion still and be on the bike and um, yeah just enjoy it so that is that is something i'm happy to do now and also family yeah I, i'm since five, four and a half months i'm a dad now and this is an incredible time uh, it's at least as exciting as becoming a professional cyclist <laughs> a few years ago and uh, the challenges that you have um, as a dad with a family life now, they are big, but they are also really, really nice. And um, I'm enjoying that as well. That was a question from Alison. She was asking, and she's one of the biggest fans you have in Dubai. So she's always very excited when you came to Dubai. She was asking how the transition was from uh, being a professional cyclist, now being a professional dad. Um, <laughs> how was it? Wake up in the night and give the bottle? 
I'm not sure if I'm already a professional dad, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> uh, giving the bottle is no problem because um, he's he's a very calm guy. His name is Lex, um, our son's name, and he um, uh, he's, he drinks a lot. So uh, and when I look at his legs, they are already really big compared to other babies. I think he's, it's going in the right direction. You know, it's a lot of <laughs> muscle and power there. Fantastic. I have another question. Um, how will cycling in the future be different from today in your view? Do you think there will be something like eSports or what do you think will change? Is there anything you would, you would say needs to change in the tour? Maybe shorter stages to make it a bit more aggressive and more interesting? Uh, what, do you, what do you think should be a change? And will there be something like eSports? Do you, do you feel that's the direction um, that should go? I think uh, I at least can imagine that the eSports will be a part of, of cycling. Although I don't think that it will be, um, I don't think it will play a huge role. Not At least not on a professional level. I think it will be a, um, a really big thing for, for, for riders who are at home um, trying to still ride their bike next to their job when they come late at home, um, uh, late back home and want to ride their bike. That's, it's a great combination to have the chance to escape in a, in, a, in a virtual world and ride your bike there for an hour with friends. So I really think that's a great thing, but I don't really see the push in the, in, in the professionals for a situation now with Corona. Of course, it's a great option that you can have um, to still ride your bike. But what I see more is um, is the whole uh, development around gravel bikes. I could I could totally I mean it's already a big thing for itself, and I don't know I'm not sure if it's true, but I I, I heard it from other people and I I get the impression that gravel riders want to be a little bit uh, a kind of their own, like you see with mountain bike as well. But I could really um, I could really see um, in the Grand Tour stages where they would really ride on gravel or least um, integrate even more that you are forced to think about maybe changing bikes and something like this to keep it more exciting um, so I think that is something that would really also um, help the sport to um, you know to develop into something into a new direction and do something interesting mm -hmm. well, that's interesting yeah um, uh, we have one question from Niall uh, what was the toughest climb when you really thought you would miss the cutoff maybe during the big Grand Tours, if you do uh, Tour de France and you had some climbs, was there any yeah. particular day, any particular mountain you always were afraid of when, when, you, when you know it's on the map for today? It's um, a good question. Yeah, I, I was actually in also 2013 uh, because it was the 100th uh, Tour de France in that year. And the anniversary, they thought it was it is a great idea to do Altues two times. Yeah, so we we uh, had to go there to to the bottom of Altues already before. There's a little bit up and down, um, but not so difficult. And then you you get there, you're tired from a long Tour de France already, and you know you have to go up not only once but twice. And um, that was something where really I didn't know what to expect because. Um, yeah, if you ride up Altues, you have all the fans, the the climbers which go for the victory. They are so motivated that they will for sure go um, in a really fast uh, pace. So I had no idea what would happen with the, the time cut afterwards. So I was really trying to do my very best the first time already. And I came totally tired the second time to the bottom of the climb. But it was uh, luckily everything safe and uh, within time still. Very good. Um, and I, I don't know how you follow the peloton at the moment. Who would you say is a, a, a young and upcoming rider we should really look out for? A talent you see, um, and, and that's a question from Kevin. Um, yeah, it's for this year. It's hard to tell because uh, many talents didn't really have the chance to show themselves mm. uh, because all the races are cancelled or a big part at least. Um, I think Pogacar, I mean, it's not a huge surprise to everyone. Pogacar from, um, uh, I think Slovenia, is it? Uh, he's, um, he's definitely a talent. What surprises me as well is that um, maybe until Paris-Nice this year, the time before, 
not everyone had uh, someone like Max Schachmann from Germany on his yeah. on his radar. You know, he's he was always a little bit below until he won really Paris Nice this year, yeah. and he is um, he is for me still a huge talent, um, and he proved it already a couple of times now. So that's someone to watch out for. Um, and you know a lot of a lot of names. Uh, I don't have to mention like uh, even the pool, uh, Van der Poel. They are they are incredible, and they will be for a long time on the top of the sport. That's already clear now. No. Um, what would Marcel Kittel 2020 tell Marcel Kittel 2011 when turning pro? What you would have wished you knew then? What do you know today? Um, I would. Oh, I think I would. What I what I tried to explain already um, earlier um, that it is important to really enjoy what you do, that you also appreciate it, that you are aware of um, of the chance that you get to be to be a professional cyclist in that case, uh, but also in general that you are appreciating a chance where you can turn a dream um, job sort of a dream hobby into a job. Um, so that is something what I would definitely tell myself. And I think another thing would be um, that I shouldn't be scared or uh, yeah, afraid of changes in your life. Um, I think change is very good. It's very helpful. Not always easy, but um, um, definitely um, inspiring that you are getting new motivation uh, to go into a new direction or do something else. Yes. Is there one person, dead or alive, you would have wished to meet or you would like to spend an evening if you could choose one person to say, I want to spend a day with this one person? And is there anyone where you would take inspiration from? Um, um, within the sport? Uh, within sports? or anywhere. Just, uh, You can pick anywhere. Um, yeah, I, so one person that comes to my mind as a sort of representative for that type of people is someone like, um, um, for example, Bill Gates or, or Elon Musk, um, people who are really thinking in a different way than what I'm doing or a lot of other people on this planet are actually doing because they have something and how they look at the world, which 99% of the people on this planet cannot understand. And I would really like to be able to um, to experience that one day, uh, if I had to change a chance to to change with them, or or at least to listen to their stories and how they how they look on this world, it, it's a little bit like um, I would like to be one day a climber to feel how it is to go very fast uphill, you know, uh, because <laughs> I also never experienced that. <laughs> so that would be nice. Yeah, maybe you should send them an email and just say, hey, listen, I'm Marcel Kittel. Uh, yeah, yeah. The cyclists, and maybe they remember, maybe they're into cycling and they really like this, and they say, "Hey, yes, I'm, I'm in Germany. Let's go for a bike ride." And then um, that would be incredible, yeah. But I, I'm not sure if that works. <laughs> yes, you know, man. I think sometimes what you did, and and I want to really acknowledge you for this. You know, man. I, I think as a cyclist and as a sports person, I think you're motivating a lot of people, and you really uh, make it very special that we spend uh, the whole the whole month uh, of, of July in front of the TV and we're watching the races. We really um, suffer with you when it when it there. We're really excited. We bite our nails when you come to the sprint finish. I think you really do something special for the people. And, and so maybe maybe they're excited. Maybe when you send an email to Elon Musk, maybe we'll be excited. That, oh, Marcel Kittel, <laughs> so cool. <laughs> yeah, it would be definitely amazing. Yeah. I should try it. Yeah, <laughs> I have a few, uh, i bring it to the, to the end now. I have a few quick questions and it's just, I, I ask you something and you just give me the answer. I, I give you two options to answer. Um, socks, long or short? Long. Chemi cream, yes or no? Mm, yeah, yes. For your hair, is it gel or wax? Uh, wax. Shaving your legs, you still do it or not? Ah, oh, yeah, look. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> smooth as uh, Lexus bag, as, as a baby's bottom. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the weather—you rather have it warm or cold? Warm. 
nutrition? You had gel, a gel or bar, or you did something homemade in your pocket when you were riding? Um, mostly it was a, a gel or a bar. Okay. The wind is your friend or your enemy? You know, both answers are true. <laughs> um, I would say mostly it was uh, an enemy for me because I'm so big. Okay. Tire pressure? You rather have it high or low? Uh, <clears> Hi. <throat> Brakes, disc or, or rim brake? Disc brake. Disc brake. And a few more private things. If you go to a karaoke bar, do you sing rock or pop? <laughs> uh, actually, I hate to say it, but probably I sing more pop because I, I remember more songs from that uh, uh, type of music. Yeah. A party, you stay at home or a party? I party. Party. For a drink, coffee or tea? Coffee. Food, is it rather fine dining or burger? I'm more the burger type. And for holidays, mountain or beach? Uh, beach. Yeah, beach, no doubt. Beach. Is it speedo or shorts? Shorts. Who wears a speedo still? <laughs> Some people. I have a religion now. I'm sure he said he's listening. He's wearing a speedo, but he can pull it off. Yeah. Marcus, <laughs> about you. Um, and are you an early bird or rather a night owl? Uh, early bird. You're reading books or you're out your books rather? Uh, no, I, I like to read books. Yeah. And is it a, rather jeans or a suit? What is your preferred? Or jeans, 100% jeans. Yeah. Okay, and is it a cold shower or hot shower? Hot shower. Hot shower. Very good. Good. Hey, Marcel, uh, <laughs> I took so much of your time. Um, oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm really proud that I have you uh, on, on our Wolfie's Talks, and I'm sure we made another 45 minutes. Uh, we, we took people a bit into your, into your life and into your career. And again, I want to acknowledge you for, for what you have achieved. And it's just an unbelievable career. And I want to acknowledge you as well for the, for the, um, that, you, that you took the choice to look after your family. And um, I think that's, that's great. And I, obviously, I wish you all the best. And I'm sure we will stay in touch. But uh, thank, you. thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. And I also wish you and everyone else who is watching and listening um, a lot of health. Um, always a positive mind in these uh, difficult times, maybe sometimes. And uh, yeah, don't forget, um, there will be better times ahead again. And uh, we will have more time to ride again outside, not only indoors and trains. Thank you, Marcel. Yeah. And we have another special guest on Sunday, uh, 7 o'clock Dubai, uh, Rolf Aldag um, from Team Telecom. He was sport director for many teams as well, uh, an inspiration, a real hero for me as well in this era. Do you remember Rolf? Do you have any story, any uh, connection with Rolf? Um, no, yeah, I, I know Rolf. Um, I uh, know him especially from my time um, as a professional. He was always uh, the um, technical director on teams like uh, HTC High Road, uh, Quickstep, and then now uh, Dimension Data. And I almost worked together with him uh, when I came to Quickstep, but then he was already um, uh, leaving for Dimension Data. So, yeah, never had the chance to work with him, but I, had, I heard a lot of good stuff, and um, he's a very dedicated person to his job. and. Um, to the sport. So we speak to him on Sunday. Marcel, thank you very much. Regards to your family. Stay well. Thank you. Stay back. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.